Welcome to the Southside Sermons Podcast. I am Christopher Campbell, pastor of Southside Baptist Church, located in Decatur, Alabama. This message you're about to hear is from God's Word and is offered to you with this prayer that God would give you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to obey His Word. May your faith be strengthened in Jesus and may you grow in your knowledge of Him. In Acts chapter 17, we have before us two examples of how the message of truth is not only perceived, but how it is also received. It is a text that forces us to ask questions about our own willingness and our own eagerness to know the truth. And not just the truth, but specifically the truth of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you listen to the words that come out of my mouth this morning, should you believe the message that I'm proclaiming to you is the truth? Why should you believe my message? Should you take my word for it because of who I am? If what I am saying is the truth, How will you know it? And does the knowledge and necessity of the truth even matter to you? Are you listening in order to be persuaded? Or are you seeking to believe? After Paul and Silas and Timothy have been released from a Philippian jail in Acts chapter 16, where they had been falsely imprisoned, they continue their journey through Macedonia. Now Macedonia was a region toward the west where they had concluded through a process of failed attempts to go elsewhere, through a process of frustrations and ultimately Paul having a vision in the night, that Macedonia must be the place where the Spirit of God wanted them to go to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have already witnessed some victories. The Lord opened the heart of Lydia to pay attention to Paul's message, and Lydia believed and was baptized along with her household. A slave girl who had a spirit of divination or fortune-telling was set free from that spirit in the name of Jesus Christ at the command of Paul. But then their mission trip faces turbulence once again. Because the same act that brought that slave girl freedom from that evil spirit caused Paul, Silas, and Timothy to be bound. They were seized and dragged before the city officials and beaten, inflicted with many blows with the rod. They were thrown into prison and their feet fastened with stocks. In ridding the slave girl of her demonic spirit, they had deprived the owners of this girl much gain, the Bible says. And they were accused of disturbing the city in defiance of Roman customs. What appears to be punishment for following God's way is revealed once again to be God's positioning positioning Paul and Silas and Timothy to be at the right place at the right time. For there in a prison, 
Paul, Silas, and Timothy do not forsake God, but worship God even at midnight and sing hymns so that other prisoners listen to them. Their feet are bound, but their tongues remain loose. As long as they are able to speak, they can continue to be a witness for Jesus, even in the dark depths of prison. And through a series of events that involve an earthquake and their freeing of their chains, they choose to remain bound so that the jailer might be made free. Because of their witness for Jesus, a jailer is saved and his entire household believes in God. These victories do not come cheaply. The gospel does not advance without cost. The very message of the gospel is a message about Jesus Christ, God's only Son, taking on human flesh, suffering, and dying so that he might win victory over sin and death by rising from the dead, so that he might free us by his own sacrifice and blood and give us eternal life in his name. If our salvation in Jesus came at such a cost, should we think that proclaiming it won't cost us too? Look with me now at Acts chapter 17 in verse 1. The scripture says, now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. As it is Paul's strategy, he travels to Thessalonica, which is the largest port city in Macedonia. For him, it is a strategic city. And he finds in Thessalonica a synagogue of the Jews. Now, ten men were required for a synagogue to be established. And synagogues were a natural place then to find people gathered, interested in the things of God. Synagogues had their own scrolls containing what we know as the Old Testament scriptures. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. It says, Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. This was Paul's message and his method of delivering it. He begins with the Jews because he can build upon what they already have and what they already know. The full meaning of the Old Testament is realized in Jesus Christ, and he shows them this. First, verse 2 says, he reasoned with them. That's the word diolegome, diolegome. He dialogued with them. It could be that they asked questions and he responded, or that he spoke in such a way that, uh, that uh, he anticipated what they were thinking and their thoughts, and he drew them in through his speech, into a conversation, a dialogue about the things of the scriptures. But notice what his basis for dialogue was. Verse 2 says he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He began with what they had. He began with God's word. In Washington, D.C., there's the Museum of the Bible, and they have created a replica of a synagogue there. 
And there's a cupboard up at the front of the synagogue where they would keep the scrolls of scriptures that they would bring out and have read every time there was a synagogue service. What are these scriptures? In Paul's day, the scriptures were the Old Testament. Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, and the writings. In our day, the scriptures also include the New Testament. Paul will later write to Timothy and say, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The necessary equipping for ministry and mission is God's holy word. And so after reasoning with them, after dialoguing from the scriptures, verse 3 says Paul went on, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now that word explaining, it means to open up something that has previously been hidden or obscure. He's interpreting for them the scriptures. He's connecting the dots for them that they had previously not connected. And also, he's proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. He's presenting evidence for this from their scriptures. Now, it's a very strong claim for Paul to say anything was necessary. As we've seen this, used, uh, this word used throughout Acts, it's a very strong word. Necessary means it's not optional. And this is what was very difficult for the Jews to understand. Why is it that the Christ, the anointed one of God, would have to suffer and die? How could someone who was crucified possibly be this Messiah, this Christ? This didn't make sense because they didn't understand the scriptures. What about you? Does that word necessary grab your attention? Do you know why it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead? Do you know why Paul and Silas and Timothy and countless others throughout history have been willing to suffer and give up their own lives to proclaim this message about Jesus? As Paul will write so clearly to the Corinthians later in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he's going to say, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. It was necessary for Christ to die because of sin. Sin that is recorded in the scriptures as early as Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve thought that they knew better than God and disobeyed his word that was meant to be to them a source of life. And sin demands a price. For Adam and Eve, it was the life of an animal and the promise of a coming Savior. As Paul will write later to the Romans in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Our sin against God, our lawlessness does not come with an optional penalty. Our sin demands and requires and necessitates the holy and righteous judgment of God and the wrath of God. 
our sin demands death because it stands in opposition to the God of life. Our forgiveness requires the exchange of an innocent life in our place because in sin we are dead. And that forgiveness was bought by the blood of Jesus that was poured out on the cross for our sin, according to the scriptures. Do you think that there was an option when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane? My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. There was no other possibility. Paul proclaimed in the synagogues in verse 3, it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. And Paul explained this, and by proving this from the Scriptures, Paul shows how the Scriptures themselves reveal God's plan and are in fact God's Word. And Paul summed up all of his message in Jesus, saying... This Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. Every sermon, every teaching, every act of worship is summed up in the same way. In Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Look with me at verse 4. It says, And some of them were persuaded... And joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. When it says not a few of the leading women, that's a way of saying quite a few of the leading women. These in Thessalonica, they did not discover the truth themselves, but they were convinced of the truth. They were persuaded to follow Jesus, joining with Paul and Silas and Timothy. This preaching of Jesus was not only for the Jews, but the God-fearing Greeks. These are those that would attend the synagogue worship, but they never took that step of circumcision to become fully Jewish. But they feared God. And also the leading women, they were persuaded as well. These leading women had influence. They were upper-class women who could enjoy a higher status in synagogue life than what they could enjoy in other parts of society in this day. Luke does not neglect to mention the women throughout all of Luke and Acts because the women obviously had an important role in the faith in the early church as women continue to have an important role in the church today. The role of women in the church is hotly debated, but here Luke draws attention to their conversion and their importance. Look with me at verse 5. It says, but the Jews, but the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. Now this jealousy has its root in the word zeal. But here it's an overcoming zeal that manifests itself in resentment and envy. It's jealousy. And in their jealousy, these Jews go to the marketplace and find men who are of the rabble. We don't talk like that. We don't know what that means, of the rabble. It simply means they're loafers, they're bums. 
They make a habit of just being idle. They have nothing to do. As such, they are dangerous men. And these men are described as being wicked. That word wicked could also be translated as worthless. They were worthless men that find usefulness in only one task, forming a mob and setting the city in an uproar. They attack the house of Jason, the one who has shown hospitality to Paul and his co-laborers. And they're searching for Paul and Silas and Timothy to bring them out. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now that word shouting may also be translated as screaming, if that helps you visualize what they're doing. And this charge of turning the world upside down, it's not a positive thing. As Christians, some have leveraged this phrase as a mission statement. We exist to turn the world upside down for Jesus. But it's a word that means to stir up trouble, to cause people to rebel against or to reject authority. It's a word that means they're inciting revolt. And that is nothing like we who as Christians are. Christians are people who understand authority and are taught by God to respect the authorities that God has put in place, not to be known as troublemaking people or those who incite revolts. And so while the charges by the mob against Paul and his co-laborers are false charges, one truth remains. At the end of verse 7, they report Paul's teaching to be there is another king, Jesus. That's a good word for somebody listening today who has for too long been bowing down and worshiping and obeying your own kings, your own idols. The gospel proclamation is there is another king, Jesus. And as we've sung this morning, he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. It says, And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So in other words, they let Jason and the brothers go on bond. And in verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. God uses this opposition as a way of moving Paul about. And now Paul goes to Berea, which is about 50 miles southwest of Thessalonica, and he goes by night. And this is the second movement of this narrative. Once in Berea, Paul consistently repeats his same message using the same method by going into the Jewish synagogue that was there. We've all heard it said that the word insanity is defined as doing the same thing repeatedly, expecting different results. But insanity is not a word that describes Paul's mission, for he does the same thing again. But the response in 
Berea is different. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Here the same people are mentioned, Greeks, both men and women, and even women of high standing, believing because their reception of the word of God is different. Of the Bereans, it is not said that they were persuaded as in Thessalonica. Of the Bereans, it is said they believed. How we approach God's word matters. If we approach God's word skeptically, we're looking to be persuaded. If we approach God's word seekingly, seeking, then we're looking to believe. Are you looking to be persuaded or are you looking to believe? The end result may be the same, but those who believe take ownership of their convictions more quickly. These Jews in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. This is a word that means they were open-minded. They had a willingness to learn and to evaluate something fairly. And they accepted the message with all eagerness. They desired the truth of God in Jesus Christ. Their attitude in approaching God's word was different. Our attitude in approaching God's word matters. The Bereans examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so, to see if what Paul was teaching was in fact the truth. As you listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth this morning, should you believe the message that I'm proclaiming to you as the truth? You should if what I am proclaiming is found in the scriptures. How will you know that? Search the scriptures yourself. Hear how often I say things like, read this verse with me, or notice in this verse. What I'm doing is I'm intentionally directing you to the scripture to see for yourself and believe. This is why everything that we do as a church will be rooted in the word of God and summed up in Jesus Christ. As a result of the Bereans' careful study, evaluating and examining the scriptures daily, they became owners of what the scriptures taught. Not merely persuaded, but believers themselves. Look at verse 13. It says, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too agitating and stirring up the crowds. It's an interesting twist that it's the Jews who are disturbing the peace, not the Christians. But yet the Jews are alleging that the Christians are the one turning the world upside down. But such is the case with those who are jealous, and zealously so. They don't stop with their opposition. They seek to undermine the truth, even if it means spreading lies. And in verses 14 and 15, it says that the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, 
But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, then they departed. God moves them again. Again, Paul would later write to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is profitable. And Acts chapter 17 is profitable for teaching and training us in knowing that the power of gospel proclamation will always include God's word, always. The scriptures will always be based and rooted and grounded in God's plan, God's design. Revealed in God's word. The scriptures tell us not only about who God is, but also who we truly are. As people who have sinned against God and are in need of a savior. And the scriptures, old and new, all point to Jesus as the only savior. Acts 17 forces us to ask questions about our own willingness and our own eagerness to know the truth. The Holy Spirit ushers us into the truth about Christ as we eagerly examine the Word of God to believe rather than waiting to be persuaded. Thank you again for listening to this message. I pray that God would accomplish His purpose in you through the preaching, hearing, receiving, and believing of His Word. If you wish to share any comments or questions about the message you have heard, please call Southside at 256-353-8814 or visit us on the web at southsidebaptist.net. Also, make sure to subscribe or follow this podcast to receive a new message each week.